WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM. Welcome back to WKTY Outdoors. It is 824. WKTY Outdoors is brought to you by Roscoe's Live Bait in Toma and by Ace of Lacrosse Sportsland in the Shelby Mall on the south side of Lacrosse. Joining me on the phone right now is uh, Tackle Terry Tuma, and uh, always good to get uh, Terry on the program here this morning. Good morning, Terry. How are how are things this morning? Well, good morning to you, Kevin, to all of our listeners. They are great. In fact, I'm going fishing. <laughs> all right, and 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 I'm I'm guessing you're not talking about uh, deep sea fishing in Florida. No, I'm going ice fishing locally, <laughs> Kevin. Even though it's quite cold out, but hey, uh, you know you're not going to catch fish sitting in my office, right? That's uh, that's very true. You won't uh, you won't catch them there. They uh, they don't deliver themselves to your door. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> Anyhow, hey, you know what? Uh, and, and and one of the things we're we're talking here about um, uh, beforehand, just you know about going out and and fishing and everything. Uh, one of the things we were talking about here before we we got on the air was. Uh, you've gotten some reports of uh, propane freezing, the little cylinders. Yes, I have. Uh, in fact, uh, this morning already, Kevin, where the one-pound propane tanks are freezing, uh, and what happens is that propane turns to gel, mm-hmm. and therefore then it doesn't flow. Also, too, we uh, we have a neighbor that's a, a big farm. They have big farm operation, also a very avid outdoors person. And he was telling me, he's also witnessed this, uh, is that uh, and he told me that propane starts to gel at 11 below. And so, therefore, he was using, you know, any kind of hand warmers or wrapping the tanks up and so forth. He also made a comment, uh, this is two different uh, people, that he had a new heater and it, did, it appeared it wasn't working correctly. And so he sort of assumed that maybe it was a heater issue. I'm sure it was the propane that was gelling. And so that's something we have to really address under these kind of conditions. You know, if you're fishing in a wheelhouse overnight and all of a sudden your propane turns to gel, or if your generator is freezing up, then you got some big issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a, a very serious situation. And, uh, uh, boy, that, you know, and I, I, had, I didn't even think about that, but... Uh, um, you know, that's, that's something that, uh, and, and again, I think maybe a lot of people don't necessarily think about, they always kind of, you know, it's like, oh, I've got the heater, it'll be fine, we'll be good, and, uh, you, you get out to, to where you need to be, and, uh, <laughs> it's not, uh, not working too well, so. No, that's exactly right. Same thing with, you know, generators that the exhaust are, are freezing up. The only way you can get that remedy, well, you can get, there are now a manufacturers making covers for generators out of Mankato, Minnesota, and but also to will prevent that. But then you have to take it inside and have that thaw, you know, thaw it out. Mm-hmm. And then before you start it up again. So there's a lot of issues we have to pay attention to, you know, when we have this severe cold snap. Yeah, and and. And fortunately, we won't. Uh, this this cold snap will be around for maybe oh another week or so. But uh, um, yeah, it, uh, it it's the sort of thing that uh, I you know I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about when they are, are getting ready to uh, uh, to head out. So well, you're exactly right. And then the other factor too, and we talked about this in the past. Mm-hmm. You have to prevent frostbite. Yeah. I went through it. You probably have through. I went through mm-hmm. it several times. And it's something we can't ignore dressing properly, just paying attention to your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and I, w- I was talking a little earlier in the, the program here, too. I ran outside to, to take care of a couple of things for, like, all of about two minutes, and uh, I didn't put gloves on. And, you know, it was, I think, eight or ten below just uh, just with the regular time. And, you know, even the few minutes I was outside, I came back in, and, and my hands were just, you know, they were... 
Uh, they weren't quite numb, but they were getting there. So, I mean, oh, it, yes. it, it just doesn't take very long at all. And No, you're right, and it, it does not take very long. Something that we don't really relate to, uh, and we do want to... F- uh, avoid frostbite. Uh, you know, when you're when you blister, your fingers peel, or and so forth. That's big issues, or your earlobes. And but what we also have to relate to, I think, as you know, just going through a frostbite once or twice, but also mm-hmm. then too, your body then really uh, is very acceptable to frostbite much sooner than a normal yeah. uh, person would take place. So that's something else. And I know I have had, as I mentioned frostbite several times and you can really tell as soon as you get outside that those areas are affected quickly yeah and i think that's what and, and that's the case too from just your you know from from spending time outside and, and you know doing things that that i wasn't smart enough to wear gloves at the time or didn't have you know heavy enough gloves yeah it so yeah i i feel it uh, very quickly here but uh, it, you know and it again just uh, just bundle up there's there's plenty there's plenty of Clothing out on the market right now that that is just in, in does an incredible job of, of keeping a person warm and and uh, you know protects uh, against all sorts of things and and uh, uh, that's the uh, uh, <laughs> that that is you, you know I try to be frugal when I talk about you know buying equipment and buying quality equipment and everything that is in terms of winter clothing that's one place where I do not want to skimp on is uh, is buying quality quality merchandise that that will that will keep me warm well you're exactly right kevin the other factor too with that quality clothing you know if you're fishing on the river early spring or late late fall on any body of water you know body of water whatever that clothing comes in very very handy under those kind of conditions Mm -hmm. exactly exactly well, let's let's shift gears a little bit and and talk a little bit about uh, about fishing here. Uh, a couple of things that uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about this morning here is uh, 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 I, one of the things uh, was uh, different colors of jigs for walleye fishing. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. What uh, what are your thoughts on that, Terry? Well, first of all, there's been some studies done by fish biologists, Kevin, and they can and due to their um, color spectrum, they definitely identify orange and green, or I should say orange and red the best, and then it's followed up by the green and the yellows, and then what we need to really try to do is try to avoid the shades of the purples, violets, and blues under most conditions to say that they're not going to produce is not true. But, you know, if you're using vertical jigging spoons, for instance, you know, it's not only, you know, the color variations, but also, too, it also uh, relates to, you know, how uh, the drop rate is, how fast is it, what kind of a flash is it, what size is it. Uh, those are all other factors, so we cannot only relate to just colors itself, but color is definitely a factor, not only ice fishing, but also open water, and we have to relate to those colors. It's just amazing how color can uh, play such a role. In fact, I was fishing for sunfish the other day. And I have you know, four or five, six rods pre-rigged with different uh, lures and different colors. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how one color, uh, under especially finicky fish, how it plays such such a role in catching these fish. It's something that we I know a lot of times anglers say, well, they try one or two colors, they just admit to themselves they're not biting. That's not true. If you are marking fish, you need to figure out how to catch those fish using different jigging action, different colors, different baits, and you will be successful. Up oh, and then yeah, that's just that that I, I look at that uh, you know jig color is just 
you know, that's just one part of the equation on a, a whatever given day because, uh, as we all know, that, uh, you know, maybe orange works really well one day and you come back the next day and, you know, white or some other color seems to be the one that uh, the fish are attracted to. That's, you know, that's just, that's part of the equation that, uh, that you need to figure out on, uh, on every trip. Well, it really is, you know, and so often we are led to believe that, you know, when you got a tough bite, usually small, slow, and subtle. I call it the three S's, mm-hmm. and it's not always the case. Uh, you know, many times when you are faced with these kind of, you know, lockjaw fish, no matter what species it is, uh, do consider stepping up in maybe in size, more abrupt jigging action, uh, maybe putting, uh, you know, some uh, some flip, uh, flipper blades on some of the uh, ice lures, like, for instance, I use uh, quite a bit of spin drop for some fish and crappies when those situations uh, become uh, available to us. In other words, you know, try something a little bit different. You know, don't always fall into that trap of tough bite, small, slow, and subtle. That is not always the case. Go for that more of an aggressive mode of catching these fish and see if you can trigger those fish. When you have this tough bite, uh, we have to understand that we have to attract these fish into that strike zone. Then once we get them in that strike zone, you have to put an excessive effort trying to catch that fish. Mm-hmm. And, and then at, at that point, too, you know, if you, if you are pulling in those fish, then are you, you making any kind of adjustments then to your presentation, or are you continuing to do the same sorts of things? No, you have to uh, uh, adjust your uh, um, ways of, let's just say, jigging um, distances, drop rates, and so forth. It's so important for us, and, you know, so often we are led to believe, well, you've got to pound the bottom, pound the bottom, or we need to do a lot of sort of heavy, hard, core jigging, you know, up and down, up and down. That's not the case. If you got a tough bite, it's just amazing, Kevin, how one little twitch of that rod tip and those fish are spooked. They leave the cone angle. So here again, we have to figure out how to catch these fish. Also, too, and I've done this for a few years, is adjust a drop speed, especially with sunfish and crappies. But the drop speed is becomes an attractor. Uh, what you can do to adjust your drop speed is when you're take, pulling your line off your reel, for instance, it's just, you know, finger that line so it drops very, very slowly in that water column. It's amazing how that works. And here again, when you're doing this, you want to go with a, a lure or a jig, whatever it may be, and uh, that's going to, you know, sort of flutter down much slower, maybe a smaller size. These are all factors that we have to consider. Same thing with fishing line. You and I talked about that in the past, yeah. but that's such a big ingredient too, Kevin. Yep, exactly. I mean, it all, yeah, it's all part of the, uh, all part of the equation. And again, it's something that you, you know, you have to figure out really on a, a well, a trip by trip basis. You know, it's not, uh, you know, I'm sure some of the factors might be the same, but certainly bits and pieces of that equation will change on a, a, a daily basis or even, you know, on an hourly basis, I suppose, at some point. Oh, yes, you're right. Uh, in fact, I had another question about, you know, bodies of water. And, yes, mm-hmm. every body of water has its own characteristics. Uh, that's something else. You can be five miles away. You can be three miles away. It could even be connected with a channel. And uh, these different variations are, you know, depth, uh, water clarity, w- uh, food sources, uh, what kind of weeds? Where are the weeds? Uh, what kind of structure? Is it uh, lots of structure? Is it rock piles? Is it a point? These are all factors, so we cannot treat every single lake the same uh, every single day of the year. Mm-hmm. 
exactly. And 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 what sort of things are are you you keying in on then? Uh, you know, I, you said you're headed out later this morning. What sort of things are you going to be going to be looking for? Well, first of all, I'm going to and been fishing in this one area. We have a wheelhouse out there, and uh, what we found is that you know the, the water is about 19 feet deep, but it's a soft bottom, and a soft bottom attracts a lot of the food sources, a lot of your zooplankton and so forth. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to key in on and mark these fish. If I'm not marking fish, it's going to be time to move, Kevin, because there's no sense in sitting in one spot not marking any fish whatsoever. But here again, too, you know, we we need to understand. Too, we've been brainwashed into moving all the time, and there's time frames where you don't don't want to move. You know, with many species of fish, these I really feel that these fish come through, and I call them in pods or in schools, mm-hmm. where you uh, catch some fish, and all of a sudden it's dead, and all of a sudden maybe uh, 20 minutes later here comes another group of fish, and so therefore then you know weigh your options. But obviously you're sitting on the ice for an hour, and you're just not marking any fish, then you have to move. But let's not be in such a major hurry to move uh, constantly. I think it, uh, to be honest with you, I think it's costing us fish. Mm-hmm. Yep, I can, I can see, I can see that, I can see that point of view. And yeah, I mean, if, if you know, if you're, if you're marking fish, you know, at, uh, I guess to simplify it or whatever, you know, that, that at some point those fish will have to get uh, you know, even if they're a little on the neutral side, at some point there will be some of those fish in that school that will become active. Oh, yes, that's exactly right. And it's really, you know, uh, and, yes, it's going to be up to us to, uh, you know, understand that activity level. Like you said, maybe they're neutral or negative fish. The other thing, too, I think we so often uh, feel that these tough bite fish, they just don't bite. That's not the case. Uh, it's going to be, you know, just patience and persistence to catch mm-hmm. these fish, but we can catch these fish. In fact, I created another, you know, we have the positive, the neutral, and negative fish. I actually have created another uh, word in between uh, these uh, negative and neutral fish. These fish are definitely catchable, but it does take a lot of patience. And two, you know, we mark, and I hear this constantly, we just can't catch fish. We're marking it. We can't catch them. We can't catch them. Sure, there's going to be tough time frames. And, you know, working that school, you can catch these fish. It, it's going to, I call it scratching for fish. You know, you get one, one here and one there and so forth. But on certain days, that's the way it is. And I can assure um, uh, everyone that is, you're going to be the best anger on that body of water by just scratching for those fish. Yeah, and just and just being persistent. I mean, yeah, if you're if you're marking fish, at at, at some point there they they do <laughs> they have to eat. And and again too, it, it, would would I be correct in saying that uh, you know if you're presenting something to them, you know they're opportunistic. They'll take advantage of one or, or some of those fish will take advantage of of that presentation at some point there. Yes, you know, and that's where we have to really monitor our electronics, uh, you know, and watch. Are you bringing these fish up off the bottom? Are they really looking at your um, bait and your lure? And that's a big factor so many times, just constantly. And just to reemphasize, you know, a little bit of a twitch many times will spook those fish. It's just amazing how they react. The same thing, too, if you're marking a fish and say you brought it up a foot off the bottom or two feet off the bottom, but you just can't get that fish to go, to bite, Mm -hmm. then do not waste any time trying to catch that fish. Start all over or whatever you marked with the original fish and work those fish. Do not waste that time, and you probably are not going to catch that fish uh, by trying to coax it in. It just, under most conditions, it doesn't happen. 
yeah, and 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 that was that's kind of a follow up I've got with that as well uh, because I've seen fish, I've seen I've seen the video, and uh, and when I've been out myself, you know, I've seen these fish. They come up and they're just they just sort of sit there and look at that uh, look at that lure and don't necessarily do anything. They're just watching it. Uh, exactly. Yes, you're 100 percent correct. Now, also too, I should mention with several species of fish. I think maybe more so with walleyes and sunfish, is that you know all of a sudden you you got this uh, you're marking this fish and you got your lure there, and also those two lines really sort of line up, and then also too, you know, we are so what should you say informed about. A real sensitive rod, which that's a factor. There's no question about it. But so many times we have to go a step beyond and watch your line. Just a little tiny twitch in that line, you best set the hook. And what is happening here is that uh, these fish have inhaled it, but you're reacting so quickly that these fish do not have a chance to uh, exhale that bait that you're using, and you can usually identify that motor, that fish, and how you're doing this is is where that hook is placed once you set the hook. If it's in the upper lip, right at the upper uh, outer edge of that lip, that means that's exactly what happened. They have just sucked it in, nothing has moved, and you're reacting quickly enough, they don't have a chance to expel, which they can do in a quarter second. Yep, exactly. And and, and that's one of the nice things, too, I like about uh, uh, ice fishing uh, and, and the, the, the equipment I have, is that you can really see some of those those subtle bites, just those that little bit of line movement that, that you maybe don't normally see during the open water season, um, you know, it, 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 and, and, you know, it make those hook sets uh, so much faster. Yeah, you're right. And, and a friend of mine in Anger, he had his grandson out, and they had the camera down, Kevin. Mm-hmm. And um, and here all of a sudden, uh, that bait disappeared. But they were using a bobber, and the bobber never moved whatsoever, mm-hmm. none. And he set the hook, he caught that fish. So that gives us an idea, and that's where cameras do play a big role. You know, is it going to help us catch more fish? Oh, sure it can. But also, too, sure is that unbelievable uh, educational piece of equipment to see how these fish react. These fish react the same way in the wintertime as in the summer. Sure, you got warmer water, say, in July and August. They're a little bit more aggressive with their metabolism, Mm -hmm. but it's a great learning tool to increase our knowledge throughout the open water and ice fishing time frames. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and, and you were talking about just the, the, and I was talking about the the, the fish just watching the lure. That's that's what I've seen is is with those, those, with the cameras just, you know, they sit there and they look at it and they look at it and they look at it and they just don't react to it. And that's, and that was, you know, educational for me. I learned something that's like, you know, let's, let's move on. Let's, let's try something else. Try something a little bit different there to, to, you know, <laughs> seal the deal, if you will. Uh, yes. Yeah, but you're a hundred percent correct. And that's something I think so often, you know, we expect, even if we pay $150 for a rod, uh, ice fishing rod, we anticipate and expect that we're going to feel that bite. It goes way, way beyond that. I mean, you know, watching a, a rod tip, uh, maybe just a flicker of that rod tip, or as you mentioned, just that line just straightening out a little bit. You know, if you're using monofilament line, another way to really take advantage of that bite is just kink it between your thumb and your forefinger. If that kink just starts to straighten out, you want to set the hook. 
Mm -hmm. Exactly. And and one of the other things, too, Terry, that uh, I know you wanted to to talk about, too, was a little bit about uh, dead sticking as well. Yes, well, dead sticking is really, uh, I believe it's an excellent way to, you know, use second hole, third hole, wherever, whatever state, uh, you know, designates how many holes we can have. But what we really uh, need here is, and I feel, you know, especially for walleyes, um, dead sticking is a great opportunity. You know, maybe you got one hole uh, that you're using a vertical jigging spoon or a jig tipped uh, with live bait, uh, minnows, and with a dead stick, and so often, I've seen this so many times over the years fishing walleye, many times that dead stick approach outproduces your jig, your vertical jigging spoon, or a bobber system. And a bobber system is a form of dead stick, and there's no question about that, but you have to use a rod. I prefer like the 28 to 32 inch, uh, which uh, works ideal for, you know, uh, maybe a, a skid house or a or we should say a wheelhouse, but here again, too, uh, if you're fishing in a portable, you're going to need a shorter rod under most conditions. But the biggest factor here is that you need a real light tip, but the center part of that, the power of that rod has to be somewhat firm. Uh, So the reason you want that real ultralight tip is to indicate that bite and then that center part of that backbone of the rod needs to be stiff so you can set the hook and and, uh, also control that fish. Yep. Exactly, exactly right. And, uh, you know, is that something that uh, that you use a lot uh, throughout the course of the season? Yes, it is, yeah. And so many times that can be as productive or sometimes outproduce, Kevin, uh, your vertical jigging spoons or your, uh, not only with bobbers quite so much, but also with uh, any type of a jig. It's really a great way. And then, too, you know, if you're all of a sudden you're starting to catch these fish, well, maybe what we ought to do with that first hole is, you know, set up another dead stick rod or try something, you know, more, uh, shall we say, more subtle, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing. And then generally speaking, when you're using a dead stick rod, is one is you uh, can anchor live bait with a split shot. I use a color hook and a bead. Uh, and that's going to allow the freedom of that minnow or, uh, you know, if it's a fatter or a shiner or a sucker, to move more. And then if you use a one sixteenth or one ounce jig, that's going to be uh, restricting the bait's action compared to that shot. Okay. And, and that, was, that, was, that was what I was going to follow up on, too, was, you know, is it a more natural-looking presentation than, uh, than, than with the, uh, someone, you know, doing a little vertical jigging? Yes, it is, and what what you're doing here is what's really very important is you know taking that hook and place it. I place generally speaking uh, along the dorsal fin with the point forward towards the head or hooking near the tail, and so that creates a uh, struggling bait fish or food source for those walleye. But yes, it works extremely well, and you're offering and you're trying to imitate a natural food source, and that is why it's such a trigger. And what also works quite well, and we've done this for years. For jumbo perch and for walleye is, you know, if you are facing this kind of a bite where it's only a dead stick, and especially if you're uh, sitting on a bucket, but you can also do it in a portable or whatever it may be, is have one hole where you're using, uh, say, a, a vertical jigging spoon. So you're jigging real quickly, real sort of abruptly, harsh, if you will, and now that becomes an attractor. So you're drawing fish into that area, and then they see that uh, minnow bait 
uh, you know, if it's sucker or whatever it is, and then they're going to be attracted to that. So that hole becomes an attractor, and the second hole now becomes a trigger with the live bait. Okay, perfect. Uh, wonderful. What a, uh, uh, a great idea to, uh, to, to think about uh, on the ice. And again, uh, speaking this morning here with, uh, with Tackle Jerry Tuma here on WKTY Outdoors uh, and, uh, and covering things uh, as, far as, uh, as far as ice fishing goes. Uh, Terry, I, I know, you know, it, it, despite the fact that we've got a, a rather frigid weekend here too, you know, we're, we're, you know, closer, I guess, to the end of the season than we, uh, we are to the beginning. What, uh, what sort of things, are, are there other changes that, that you're making other adjustments you're making, you know, starting this time of year as, uh, again, the season is kind of sort of winding down? Well, not necessarily, Kevin. I think the biggest factor here is, first of all, we have been brainwashing to, well, fish don't bite at mid-ice, you know, which is right now, you know, January, February time from they go into this blah season of the dolder. That's not the case. Fish do bite. We have to understand they have to eat to, you know, to survive. And what really affects these fish, it can move them from one location to another due to uh noise, fishing pressure. These are factors that we have to understand and have to relate to. And then as the season progresses into late ice, uh, then we can have and anticipate if you're fishing for sunfish and crop, I really feel that's much more productive than first ice that's so emphasized. Uh, first ice is all is good, of course, but so is mid-ice and so is late ice. So we should not ever get hung up. Well, the best time to be out there is first ice. That's not the case. Mid-ice right now can be extremely productive as well as late ice. So here again, we have to have the mindset of us, you know, saying to ourselves, I'm going to catch fish today no matter what the conditions are, and you will be productive. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's as much a, a mental game as it is the, the physical presentation to the fish. Yes, it is. There's no question about it whatsoever. I don't know how many times, and I've seen this, and I think you and I talked about it, but I really monitor in the summertime is we're um, getting out there early, maybe at daybreak or whatever, and all of a sudden by 8.30 in the morning, uh, you can tell these people are not catching any fish. They're moving. They're not productive. So the boat goes back up on the trailer. And, you know, that is uh, the mental game where we just give up. We make so many excuses why they're not biting, and the excuse is really our own excuse. Fish are always biting someplace on that lake. Sure, it's going to be tough, but maybe we're not going to catch as many fish or as big fish, but we can catch fish. Yep, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, 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 knock on wood, it's a rare day when I I get skunked. It happens once in a great while, but uh, I I chalk that up more to my inability to, to figure out the equation than anything else, but... That's just, you know, it happens sometimes. But, you know, yeah, it, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, the fish, uh, they're always, there's, al- there's always a hungry fish somewhere in that body of water that, uh, that people are fishing. Well, there's no question about it. And look at some of the tournaments. Do all the anglers come in with no fish? Absolutely not. These anglers have figured it out, and that's something we have to do. You know, fishing is nothing more than the process of elimination. That's yeah. number one. Number two, you know, so you got a tough day out on that body of water. Maybe you only caught one or two fish. But, you know, that should be a learning curve for us. And what I do when we hit those situations where we have, you know, that uh, tougher bite, I actually will sort of recap 
recap it. And when I get back to my office, I write it down, Kevin. Yeah. And and then, um, again, you're increasing your knowledge. You're increasing your knowledge. So every time we're out there, that also should be, say, we should learn something. Uh, it's almost like a schooling effect. And then, you know, make note of it mentally or physically, mm-hmm. write it down. And it's amazing how much we can increase our knowledge by doing just that. Well, yeah, and, you know, and, and little things, you know, like, uh, you know, water temperature and, and depth and, and clarity. And, I mean, just all those little factors that, you know, yeah, if you don't write it down, you're not necessarily, you know, you're not going to remember. It's like, okay, what did I do in this situation, you know? Well, you're exactly right, you know, and that too, that's something, you know, if you're fishing with a partner or or even alone, uh, and, you know, say you're fishing for a sunfish, for instance, right now, and all of a sudden it's a specific way or specific size of a lure, a specific color, maybe it's a drop speed uh, that we're controlling, that is something we have to adjust to. And what we need to do, or if you're fishing with a partner, they're catching fish and you're not catching fish, and you have to, you know, relate to what they're doing. And what it really amounts to then under these kind of conditions is duplication. Duplicate exactly what you did to catch that fish or what your partner is doing. It's just amazing. There's always, as you mentioned, many times just something that's really minute that triggers these fish and we're not doing it. Yep, exactly. Well, well, Terry, I've got to uh, wrap things up here today. Uh, it's it's always uh, always a pleasure to chat with you, and uh, and, and always come away with some uh, some new knowledge and some new ways of, of thinking when it comes to uh, to getting out on the water and doing some fishing, whether it's uh, during the hard water season here that uh, that we've got now, or during the open water season. So, uh, as always, thank you very much for for sharing your knowledge with uh, with me and with everybody listening this morning. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to visit with you, Kevin, all to all of our listeners. And then, too, uh, we can go fishing right now with frigid temperatures, but please be very, very safe. Yep, exactly, exactly. Uh, we've got to take a break. Thanks again, Terry. We'll, uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Kevin. Take care. Take care. You as well. And uh, be back in just a moment with more of WKTY Outdoors on WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM. WKTY Outdoors, brought to you by Roscoe's Live Bait in Toma. He'll tell you where the fish are biting. Just go in and ask. 